the Evolve to Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Paul Kincaid, a former Army commando and lieutenant colonel who led elite teams in some of the most challenging environments imaginable. After a successful 20-year career in the British Army, and finally his role as head of the training and development for the Army, he left the Army to share his expertise and experiences with business leaders. He now runs Selfless Leadership, a leadership coaching company based in Dorset. In today's episode, Paul explains his philosophy behind selfless leadership. There are three core principles, really, for me, for a selfless leader, and they are generosity, empathy, and excellence. Discusses how forensic science theories apply to your impact as a leader. Every contact leaves a trace. The criminal leaves a trace on the crime scene, and we leave a trace on those that we lead and give some tips on how to best lead in uncertain times. What I tend to do is look at a number of futures. And again, that comes from a military training. You know, you look at a number of courses of action and therefore you then, you know, score them. What's the most likely, what's the worst case and what's the best case. I promise you, you'll be hooked from the opening minutes of this podcast. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Warren, thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast. And for our listeners, I wanted to be able to give you the opportunity and a bit of background to why leadership is important to you, Paul. But in particular, after 20 years in military service, leading elite teams, I thought you'd open with that question about, you know, what was the one of the most challenging situations you ever found yourself in, in terms of leadership? And what did you learn about yourself? At that moment, great question. Yeah, there's a lot of those over the 20 years. Obviously, I can only imagine actually. But I think the the one that sticks out in my mind immediately, or the one that springs to mind immediately, was the first real challenge that I had, which was in the Balkans. Um, the okay. vehicle I was travelling in ran over a mine. It was you know based on a decision that I'd made to take a particular route. So okay. I got that in the back of my head as well that it was my decision so to go that route. Yeah, responsibility, a bit of guilt as well, if I'm honest. Okay. Anyway, we ran over a mine, the driver of the vehicle, um, a young Lance Corporal in his early 20s. I, I was in my early 20s as well, fresh okay. out of Sandhurst. Right. Um, so I'm brand new to this army game. Right. So this was your first kind of first, tour? First operational tour, straight yeah. out of Sandhurst. I've done my young officer training and, and I've gone, I've deployed straight away. Anyway, he his legs were blown off around, you know, lower oh leg God. amputation as a result oh. of the mine strike. So, yeah, he was in a bad way. We mm. we gave him some first aid. It was in the days before tourniquets were carried routinely. Um, so we did the best we could, but it became clear that he he was going to die probably because the emergency response team couldn't just wasn't going to get there, even though it was in the helicopter, just wasn't going to get there in time. So we did all that we could. But um, during the last few moments, he had a letter in his top left pocket. Right. It, it, it was a bit of a running joke through the tour because he always said, I've got a letter for my dad 
in my pocket. Right. Every patrol, the letters in my pocket. I should became... for patrol. Yeah, exactly. Kind of... and, and, you know, it became a bit of a running joke. Where's yeah. the letter? Oh, it's in his left pocket. And it became that sort of thing, yeah. that banter. Got the keys. Got. <laughs> exactly, in, in the military. Yeah. So he, he got the letter out and, and gave it wow. to me. And I did, the, you know, no, don't, you keep it. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Give it to your dad. It, it became clear he, he wasn't going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And he, he gave me the letter so I so that he could see me. Yeah. Said, it's in my top left pocket. Put it in exactly the same pocket where he got it out from. So he had that peace of mind. Yeah, that reassurance. And then in the last sort of, thir- we knew they were a really close family. Yeah. You know, and in the last 30, 45 seconds of his life, he started to hallucinate and I became his dad. Christ. You're 24 years old. I, I wasn't yeah. a parent myself. So how do you behave? Yeah. Brand new to leadership, brand new to the army, first tour, still wet behind the ears. So I did what I thought was right and, and I became his dad. I, I played the role of his dad, wow. kissed him on the head, held his hand, told him his mum and I were proud of him. He had nothing to be forgiven for because he was begging forgiveness and yeah. we were really proud of him. And And he passed away. Um, that must change you as a person and it, a leader. Do you know, I mean, the hardest experience. thing from that was one, to come to terms with it was my decision to take that route yeah. and overcome that. But the team got around me and, and helped me through that. My, yeah. my bosses helped me through that. But it was also telling, telling the rest of the platoon that he died. Mm. That, you know, there's, a, there's this sort of preconceived idea that military leaders and, and you know, big boys don't cry. But yeah. I cried. When I told them, I cried. Because I loved that guy, I loved all the blokes. Yeah. They were all men, you know, in in that platoon at the time, and and in a certain way, I loved them all. Yeah, and it was it was such a terrible thing, but on reflection, a couple of weeks later, I realised that what I did was the caring thing, uh, and that yeah. changed me forever. Right. Because leadership for me, from that day forward, but on reflection, reflecting back to it, yeah, leadership is all about coming from a position of care. Yeah, and, and that's what it is for me. And and for me, that's that's the thing that I then did for the rest of my career where possible. And you talk, and we'll come on to it later in the podcast, about selfless leadership. So yeah. that must be some of the founding principles that form the basis of that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the British Army has got six core values, and yeah. one of them is selfless commitment. And that okay. was the one that truly resonated with me. Right. You know, the bloke's needs would come before mine. The soldier's needs were always before mine. Yeah. Um, you know, Simon Sinek has written a book, Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. And that's from a military position of the leader eats last. Yeah. You always look after the team before yourself. Yeah. And and so that selfless word resonated with me. And so when I left the military and started the business, selfless leadership would just, it was there. Yeah. I, I didn't need to ponder too long over what to call the business. It was how do I form a business around this yeah. this concept? And there it was. I'd like to get back to that kind of military leadership and ask two questions. One is, so we'll deal with the first. But the first is, is actually, it's interesting to you, hear you speak about age 24, just out of Sandhurst, in that situation. And there's a contrast there, isn't there, between leadership in the army, I think, and leadership in everyday life or in business. In business, people training a vocation profession get to know an industry, they spend years within it, you know, perhaps promoted quite quickly, but they've had experience within their sector industry and then they become the leader, either of their own business or in a corporate or another organisation. In military life, generally, you know, there's very experienced leaders, but you also come out at 24 having done a course at Sandhurst and you're immediately a leader. 
that yeah. is a different approach. It, do you know, it is and it isn't. There are plenty of graduate development programs out there that put people onto an accelerated promotion scheme, for example, in business, yeah. uh, and they have that training invested in them up front. We could argue how how valuable they are and how useful they are. Yeah. But, you know, the training at Sandhurst absolutely is exemplary. The the instructors are fantastic. They've all got huge amounts of experience. And the course is a year long and you are put through your paces, yeah. you know, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and you experience the whole roller coaster. Um, the only thing, obviously, you don't experience is combat, but you, you experience simulated combat and how to make decisions in that yeah. time-sensitive, pressured environment. But... The, the best officers who come out the other end don't go in and say, I'm the leader, listen to me. Yeah. They go in and say, listen, I'm the, the representative at the top table. I'll, I'll speak on our behalf, but I'm going to learn from you. Much like any leader in any concept, in, in any concept, any sector, you go in and you learn from the team around you because, yeah. you know, I think it was Steve Jobs, wasn't it? He says something along the lines of don't employ talented people and then tell them what to do. Yeah. And it's that same concept. So you've got talented soldiers. Let them almost lead you yeah. vicariously, but you are ultimately responsible. Yeah. The You're there to guide and be responsible. I think so, yeah. But typically you must have seen some horrific kind of situations where people just go into that kind of Sandhurst environment and come out the other side and the best performers you've just illustrated. But in other cases, Paul... People do come out with that ego, don't they? Surely, and yeah. and that happens in everyday life. It's not just military. You know, I think that's the biggest stumbling point for leaders, isn't yeah. it? Is ego, pride, arrogance yeah. gets in the way. Yeah. And if you think you're bigger than you are, or you're bigger than the system, yeah, you, you're going to trip over. You see it time and time again, don't you? Know, that yeah. alpha male, alpha female approach, the beating of the chest. Yeah. You know, my way or the highway type approach, and and it it. It has sometimes it has some short term successes, but as we see quite a lot in the media these days, yeah, it it will fall down at some it's, point. It's, it's the long it's term long game, isn't it? You know, if you want people to come to you when they're worried, when they've got problems, when when things perhaps aren't going well at home, or they've got a well being issue, if you're that beat in the chest alpha leader, yeah, they're not going to come to you with problems, you know, yeah. and and you need to know your team really well, yeah, and if you don't know that element, well, then you're not going to get the best out of people. Yeah. So, the, you know, I keep coming back to this thing, leadership from a position of care. If you don't yeah. care about your people, you're not, you cannot get the best out of them. Well, that's interesting because then that brings me back to my second question on kind of army leadership. And it's, you know, it's a portrayal in the media and on TV programs. <laughs> I wonder where you're going yeah. <laughs> It's that kind of whole shouty, shouty kind of <laughs> yeah. approach that I shall do, which, you know, even from this short conversation we've had, that's not real army leadership, of course, and, and, and not what really happens. But does that frustrate you that perhaps the public perception of leadership in the army is that shouty, shouty approach? Yeah. Um, does it frustrate me? At times it does. Not not generally, because that's the perception that's in the media. So, of course, that's that's all you've mm -hmm. got to go on. And yes, there is some shouting in the army, especially in the in the first phase of training because it's got to be that you're not a civilian anymore. You're in a, a bigger organisation. You know, you, it's almost that shock of this life is nothing like the life you've just left. Mm. So there does need to be that almost shock element, yeah. but not from an aggressive perspective. You know, quite often in the military, you shout in order to get a response. Yeah. Um, I, I could talk 
yeah, I will talk about it. You know, I, I used to shout in one of three times in the military. Okay. One was if the situation was noisy and I yeah. needed to be heard over the noise. <laughs> that works. Whatever the noise was. <laughs> Most people shout in that situation. Yeah. If there was a risk to life or someone was about to get hurt, mm. I would shout in order to get an immediate response. Yeah. Take cover. Yeah. Don't touch the iron. If it's your yeah. child touching the iron or the kettle, you shout to get an immediate response. Yeah. Or if they're about to run out into the road, yeah. you shout. And the same is exactly Natural true. reaction, isn't it? And the third one, which catches a lot of people out, is if I've let myself down, lost control, and shouted. Right. And then afterwards, I think, God, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And, and you know, how different is that from parenting? I was going to say, that's why you've been that's, <laughs> yeah. you're describing being a yeah. parent, aren't you? So, you know, did, does it frustrate me? At times it does, because, so, you know, I've lost out on business because people mm. say, I don't, what, you know, yeah. army leadership, I don't yeah. want that, that shouty ordering thing. Yeah. Well, how does army leadership convey into the real world? Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, full metal jacket, platoon, you see all the shouting, the drill yeah. sergeant, officer and gentleman, those, those shows. Yeah, there's a lot of shouting. But don't forget that's American military as well, which is a slightly different cultural concept. Okay. Um, Do they lead differently in the American forces? Not not particularly, but the training is a bit more brutal Okay. in, in some areas, although less so nowadays. You know, okay. don't forget we're looking back. Yeah. I think a lot of people expect when, you know, when I say I'm a retired colonel, they either expect someone who's got a big moustache and slightly, yeah. you know, there is no moustache. Okay? <laughs> I can't grow a moustache. I've tried. Um, Sometimes a bit harumphy, you know, uh, much like the major in Forty yeah. Towers. Or they expect Windsor Davis from yeah. eight and a half months to walk yeah. through the room. You lovely boys. Yeah. And it, they don't expect the military to have moved on since those days, and yet society's moved on. So why wouldn't the military? Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting because you know you did have that twenty years of service and leadership within the army. And ending up as the head of training and development for the army. Yeah. So what did you see change in those 20 years? I mean, you talk yourself about, you know, th that very first incident, which I can't even, I'm still sort of trying to contemplate how you deal with that situation. But from that moment, you said your leadership style came from a position of care. Yeah. You know? But, you know that probably wasn't quite the military leadership style at the time. And in that 20 years, you must have seen huge change. Oh, definitely. And, and fundamentally, how would you describe that change? I'd say it's an increase in professionalism. Okay. And, and a, a relaxation as well. Okay. You know, a realisation that the the army has to change to, to match society. And the, the army became much more almost like a, a corporate organisation. It took advice from, from outside. Whereas yeah. when I first joined, that just wasn't happening. It, it was, you know, it, this is the way we do business. We've always done it this way. And yet that became untenable. Yeah. For, you know, the, the army started to downsize through cutbacks, mm. you know, through political decisions that, I'm, you know, I could comment on, but it, it is yeah. what it is. It, it happened to us. So you can either cry in your milk over it or just crack on. Yeah. Um, and so my view was to crack on. And I think it, it became more professional as an organization. It took advice from outside almost in a sort of non-exec director role. Yeah. Um, and and just less tolerant of behaviour that, that wasn't acceptable. Right. Much less tolerant. And rightly so. You yeah. know, bullying was a thing in the army, let's be honest. It yeah. was a thing. But it's dropped right off significantly. There's probably more work to do. There are in most big organisations. Yeah. But for me, it became a much more professional but much more relaxed yeah. organisation. It had to because it didn't have the staff anymore. But it was also surely in that time... 
you talk about, you know, when you joined the Balkans, but in that 20 years and even now, the we're calling on our military more and more in everyday situations, aren't we? So there must be a huge pressure, which then leads to pressure and leadership, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, and you've also, everyone's a journalist. You know, yeah. now we've all got you know, cameras in our pockets. Yeah. Not not that you would not do something in case someone took a photograph, but you yeah. had media embedded with you. The world became much smaller with the internet and, and you know, with mobile phones and technology advancing. And, and the army changed to meet that. So mm-hmm. it's a much more technically capable organisation yeah. with much stronger leadership as a result. Right. So tell us about some of those challenges that you had then as head of the training and development for the British Army. Well, that, I mean, the biggest challenges there really were trying to convince other people, you know, that sort of stakeholder engagement. Yeah. The way training needed to be developed in the military was important for legal reasons, for all sorts of different process reasons. So there were those sort of business as usual challenges uh, and you just overcome them through good communication, speaking the client's language. So if yeah. I went to a brigadier or a general, it would be speaking in the language and terms that they really understood and communicating that narrative effectively. But I also deployed in, in that role. So I deployed to the Ukraine to support and deliver training to the Ukrainian armed forces. And that was really significant. It was about understanding what the Ukrainian political intent was understanding what the uk political intent was yeah. and that wasn't a beautiful venn I'm diagram sure there wasn't there was an there. Yeah. so we had to try and deliver within that sweet spot manage expectations on both sides and, and deliver accordingly within an environment that people would imagine is quite permissive quite safe yeah but the amount of foreign intelligence services operating in ukraine at the time in 2015 was wow. incredible and from a cyber perspective, an IT threat perspective, it was one of the most dangerous places, one of the most active places in the world from a cyber perspective. So no real kinetic threat to life. Yeah. But we weren't allowed to take any personal electronic devices, no mo- no mobile phones. There was no link back to the UK for the first few months because we knew that we would be compromised. When the Secretary of State, Michael Fallon, Sir Michael Fallon, came out to visit he couldn't bring, you know, his team couldn't bring the Blackberries with them or anything. Wow. Because I'm, they, they would be compromised. I'm gobsmacked here, really. <laughs> yeah. It was, That's serious. A, but what a fantastic environment yeah. to be able to help an, a, a country defend its own sovereign territory. Yeah. And to deliver training to the trainers. Yeah. So Ukrainian instructors so train would come the to Exactly, yeah. train the trainer. And we learned lessons there as well. You know, lessons we've probably forgotten in Afghanistan because we weren't on a peer-to-peer yeah. operational tour. But of course they were. They were possibly even fighting a superior foe mm. who clearly weren't the Russian armed forces. They were separatists. Yeah. Clearly. Wow. So I suppose leaving the military, if we just touch on that briefly, that must have been a wrench and a big decision for you, Paul. It was a huge decision. I wanted to be a soldier since I was five years old. Yeah. So in my head and heart, I'd been a soldier since I was five. So the decision to leave came as a surprise to me as well. But it was my decision. Yeah. But it didn't make it any easier to hand my kit in and uniform in. No. You know, possibly in a slightly arrogant way, I'd achieved most of the things I wanted mm. to achieve through joining the military. My personal circumstances had changed. The the next jobs were more and more desk-related, less and right. less people-related. And, I, and I, I'm not naive. I know every organisation gets to a desk eventually. But I had the choice. 
And a lot of people don't have the choice. No. And, and I'm incredibly fortunate to have both done the job that I always wanted to do as a child and to have the freedom of choice. Okay. So I chose to leave and take the lessons that I'd learnt and theories that I'd developed and sell them, essentially, through selfless leadership. Okay. So tell us about those principles. And we touched on it earlier in the conversation, but really give the listeners an insight to your thoughts and some of the core principles around selfless leadership? Well, I think, you know, selfless, the army uses a servant leadership approach, which is very much top down. Yeah. You're looking down and helping those under you in the hierarchy. And let's yeah. be under no illusion, the army's got a hierarchy. Of course it has. Yeah. For, for me, a selfless leader doesn't only look down to the team, they look out to their peers and up to their boss. Yeah. You know, that upward leadership, upward management, the boss is under pressure. So you say, look, I've got some spare capacity. Can I help? Yeah, you know, helping colleagues. So there are three core principles, really, for me, for a selfless leader, and they are generosity, empathy, uh, and excellence. Okay. Generosity with knowledge, skills, time, experience, advice, but only giving as much of you as is appropriate, right. not as much as you can. So and there's a nuance in there. Yeah, there is a nuance. That's an because, interesting concept. You know, if, if, if one of my team have got a problem and I give as much as I can, I can probably solve that problem for them. Mm. That individual does not grown as a result. Yeah. They, they just know, if I go to Paul, he's yeah. going to solve my problems for Next me. Next time that same problem it, occurs. Exactly. Whereas if I give as much as is appropriate and deploy a sort of coaching approach, that individual steps up into that problem space rather than me stepping down into it. Yeah. And they then grow as a result. And therefore... They develop and, and they're ready to take over my job in, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of years' time. Which is one of the philosophies in the army, isn't it, as I understand, is that there is always somebody... You've always got to be ready to step up. Yeah. You know, you, we, in the military, they're trained two levels up. So if you're commanding a company, you're ready to, to go beyond regiment yeah. into brigade. Okay. Because if the worst happens and your boss, you know, meets his maker on the battlefield... You've got to be ready to step up and step into those shoes and carry on the momentum and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So that's the generosity with with knowledge, skills, experience, attitude. Empathy, I think, sort of speaks for itself. Yeah. That's that um, leading from a position of yeah. care. That's that um, care, no ego. Yeah, that's that exactly. Thing. And use of emotional intelligence. Yeah. Understand how your emotions impact on others and how others impact on you and, and just seeing how the team works. Yeah, Stepping back and, and looking from that sort of slightly elevated position of the leader and looking, surveying the ground and seeing what's going on. Yeah. And then excellence. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, that speaks for itself. Pursuit yeah. of excellence, but not allowing that pursuit of excellence to overthrow the compassion for the team. That's quite a balancing act as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Particularly yeah. in an owner-managed business. Yes. Where there's that passion. To there succeed. is, the drive. The, the drive is evident and there. Yeah. That can become overwhelming sometimes, can't it? So I think that's where challenge comes in as well. You know, people have got to be able to challenge one another in a healthy yeah. way. So I'd much rather have constructive dissent than destructive consent. Okay. You know, those people who go, yes, Paul, that's a great idea, and then leave the conference room and go, what a bag of... I mean, that was bollocks. Yeah. Top, what you said. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather them challenge me in the room and say, yeah. oh, man, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Okay, and let's have a conversation because yeah. then, you know, as adults, if our voice is heard, but the decision is made on the other side, we can probably accept that yeah. because we've had our viewpoint heard. But how can you, because that's a great situation to have, yeah. 
but how can you encourage that? Well, that's got to be top down. It's right. got to be top down. Uh, and I think the, the, the way to start that behaviour is to encourage feedback on you as yeah. the leader in a sort of almost 360 degree, but what we're talking about here is 180, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. bottom-up feedback of, right, what do I do well? That's just yeah. an ego trip, a pat on the back. What don't I do well and what should I stop doing? Yeah. So what, sh- what do I need to improve on and what do I need to stop doing? Yeah. And if you can genuinely take that on in yeah. a humble... If you're open-minded exactly. enough, which and can that's be hard a to hear. Yeah. You know, someone says, actually, do you know when you say you're really good at this? Yeah, well, you're really not. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. okay. Then, then you've got to do some thinking about that. But if you demonstrate that you're prepared to take that slightly challenging view, then then people are more likely to accept it from you as well. Yeah. You know, it's that you know, give and take thing, isn't it? Yeah. If you demonstrate you can take it, not asking your team to do anything you're not prepared to do yourself, that yeah. type of old traditional leadership. Yeah. But some of it, but it's you friends, say that, yeah. but some of that is it's well tested and Absolutely. it's proven in time. And there's principles you know you don't have to reinvent everything do we no traditions exist for one of two reasons don't they they're either really good and that's why they've stood the test of time or no one's had the wit or courage to change them Uh, and those that stand the test of time like yeah you know not expecting people to do anything you're not prepared to do yourself yeah is is one of those traits definitely definitely you also uh, have written some blogs and articles and i've seen some social media posts about the traces we leave behind is kind of the phrase yeah. that resonated with me. Yeah. So again, do you want to explain what you, you've meant I, in those articles? I will, but I won't go too far because it would it, be a spoiler alert. Okay. Um, because it's actually, that's the theme for a TEDx talk that I'm giving in November. Okay. Which, you know, I'm delighted to, to yeah, have provided. Yeah, great thing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a great thing. But it's it's based on... When we interact with people, we, we can't help but leave a trace on that individual. Yeah. Um, I, um, as leaders, we have the choice of what trace we leave. Yeah. So a little bit of consideration up front. It goes back to that phrase I used earlier on when we were talking about, you know, I'm the leader, pin your ears back, I'm about to motivate you. Yeah. That doesn't work. No. So what do you need to hear from me in order to be motivated? And it's that stop, consider, and then speak. Yeah. It's that... You're walking in another person's shoes. That whole concept of these are adults I'm I'm leading here. They don't need me to motivate them. They need me to provide the conditions that meet their motivational needs. Yeah. So that's that's essentially what that's all about. It's based on the theory of forensic science, where every contact leaves a trace. The criminal leaves a trace on the crime scene, and we leave a trace on those that we lead. Whether that's a good trace or a bad trace, yeah. we need to make a decision. I concur with that. In my own style of leadership, you know, you, I've been affected by the, you know, those that led me well in my kind of days training and, and through and probably learned some lessons and yeah. have some scars. Exactly. That. that didn't lead me so well. And yeah. you hope you've learned from those lessons and don't repeat yeah. the mistakes and enhance the things that work for you, don't you? I mean, that's human nature. The, the, the theory looks at green traces and red traces, green being positive, red being negative, and okay. how easy it is to leave those traces and what the impact of those traces might be. Right. And funny old thing, it's very easy to leave either colour trace and the impact of either colour trace is enormous. Yeah. But as you've just alluded to there, we remember bad experiences for much, much yeah. longer. So when I talk to people about forensic leadership, the theory, we go to the bad ones first. Yeah. And we start to expose that in a monologue. So when you experience bad leadership, and we all have, 
be it something our parents did that we didn't like or a teacher at school or a sports coach or a boss at work, they have done something and it's created that visceral reaction in us which says, I didn't like that. Yeah. Did you just say that out loud? I can't believe you approached it that way. That was clumsy. Or our inner monologue fires immediately. Yeah. And it's about exploring those reactions and how we avoid them in the future. Okay. Well, so that's November, the TEDx that's talk. That's November the 11th, yeah. In Southampton. In Southampton. Fantastic, right. Just also like to explore, a lot of people when they think about leaders and leadership and you, you think about some of the great leaders in history, you know, a lot of them are extroverts, aren't they? You know, but I see in everyday life some introverts yeah. that are great leaders, but those characters don't normally step forward. So if you've got somebody like that listening to this podcast, how do you how do you encourage them to step forward and become a leader? I mean, immediately I challenge the premise that there are a huge number of introverted, fantastic leaders that are very famous as, as a result. Yeah. But it, it's about, I would encourage people to start communicating that passion, that purpose. You know, we, we talk about purpose a lot at the moment. I mean, purposeful yes. organisations and, and what's your individual, your purpose. And I think if you, you are that passionate about something, then you just need to start communicating it. Yeah. And it's much easier nowadays to communicate that and without putting yourself out there, so to speak, mm. through Twitter, through LinkedIn, through, you know, Facebook, all these social media platforms. It's so much easier to communicate our passion. Yeah. And, and that will generate a following. You could do it under a pseudonym or, a you know, whatever it is, a, a different Twitter handle. You, could, you know, I could be PK123 and no one needs to know who I am. Yeah. And I could start communicating my passion out there so if if people are cautious and anxious about stepping up and putting themselves in the spotlight and in the limelight yeah i would encourage them to communicate that passion in an alternative way possibly on twitter or somewhere else uh, until they start getting that following okay or speaking about it over coffee in in the office yeah to, to one obviously not now we're on lockdown still yeah but if you you know next time you can speak to people over coffee and do that coffee cup leadership Talk to them about your passion and, and you'll start to get a following. And then, you know, when I'm talking to Sarah outside, I say, oh, have you heard what Warren's just said? It's incredible. Why yeah. aren't we doing that more? And that will grow and it'll be yeah. a seed. Yeah. To share. I think so. Yeah. And grow. So when a lot of organisations talk about leadership, it quite quickly usually diverts to a conversation about culture. And this kind of word culture, what, yeah. what, what is that? So I'd quite like to just ask you, what's your view on that kind of premise of culture? Yeah. Do you know, I've had a couple of conversations about culture recently that have, you know, got quite passionate. Yeah. Really. I, I don't like the word culture okay. because, you know, people come along and say, I'm going to change the culture of the organisation. Yeah. When I think, if you, if you stop and say, right, what's culture? Just define culture. People might come up with a definition but essentially, to me, and it's my view, is that they're coming up with behaviour and value. So you want to change the behaviours that are demonstrated throughout an organisation yeah. on a daily basis. And culture then catches up. Yeah. If you think about the culture of the United Kingdom, that's been growing for hundreds of years. The Prime Minister doesn't come in and say, do you know what, we're going to change the culture yeah. and we're going to do it overnight. No one in their election manifesto <laughs> no. talks about culture, no. changing their culture. So that's, it's a bit of a sticking point for me, if I'm yeah. honest. I prefer to talk about 
the real tangible things that we can see and do. Okay. Culture for me is not necessarily tangible, of course, but then nor are behaviours. But we can see behaviours and we can demonstrate behaviours. We can challenge poor behaviour. Mm. Ergo, over time, the culture changes slowly. Yeah. Because, you know, it's that super tanker analogy versus the speedboat. We can change behaviours overnight yeah. by saying no one is to come in through the front door. They're all to come in through the fire escapes. Yeah. That silly, silly example. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, no one is to use an expletive at work mm. at all, not even in jest. Yeah. And you can change that overnight. And, and over time, that will become the norm. And then that's the cultural shift has yeah. happened. But you do see, don't you, particularly perhaps in corporate world, and it's probably more visible in corporate world, but the new CEO comes in yeah. and says, I'm going to, unless you say, I'm going to change culture overnight. This is a failed organisation. Yeah. There's been some scandal. And they think by just talking culture, they can immediately change things. I think there's an element of that. But, the, you know, to be fair, on the flip side of that... Call, they are talking, sorry, but they are talking behaviours. Really, I think, they? yes. If I they think were talking, we've had bad behaviour. Truly, this. they're talking about behaviours, yeah. yeah. But... You know, there's nothing wrong with having an intent of changing culture. No. That that shows, you know, a strategic long-term vision is that by the end of the five-year period or 10 years, we will have changed the culture to be an organisation that can then demonstrate yeah. But that's this. setting the vision, isn't it? We're here yes. now. Yes. This is the organisation we should be. Exactly. That's that. setting that long-term vision. Yeah. Which should probably be the next question. You know, in terms of setting long-term goals, vision... As a leader, how would you, and the people that you coach, how would you coach them to go about doing that? Well, that's an interesting question in the current climate because the long term, we don't know. Yeah. So what, what I tend to do is look at a number of futures. Okay. And again, that comes from a military training. You know, you look at a number of courses of action. Okay. And therefore you then, you know, score them. What's the most likely? What's the worst case? And what's the best case? Yeah. And you rarely plan for the best case because if the best case happens, yippee. Yeah, it normally kind of flies, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? And yeah. it normally never happens. <laughs> um, but it, I encourage people to, to work out a number of different options yeah. of, of futures, especially now. Yeah. Uh, and, and try and work out what might we do when those conditions start to happen. Yeah. So that, that's one element of what we do in, in, a, in a slightly more steady state. Yes. What, what I try and do is get people to... So there's a process called red teaming that the military does quite a lot, okay. um, which is to employ a really contrarian thinking approach. And, and I'm encouraging businesses to do that now as well. So one, one tool within that is, you know, Warren, within, within your organisation, you've got a five-year plan and we will conduct a pre-mortem analysis on that five-year plan. Right. So in five years' time, the plan has catastrophically failed. Your name is mud. All your shareholders are hunting you down, and, and it's, you're never going to be in business again. It's gone that bad. Yeah. What has happened to make it go that badly wrong? Okay. Up front. And if you consider those tripping points yeah. up front, your plan will be so much more robust as a result. Yeah. You can mitigate against those controllable yeah. elements. You can identify the uncontrollables and create contingency plans and yeah. what ifs. You know, if, ha ha, if a global pandemic were ever to happen, yeah. what might we want to do? Yeah. Well, we might want to have mobile IT to allow people to work from home. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, hindsight only does one thing, and that's <laughs> yeah. kick you in the teeth, yeah. normally. Exactly <laughs> that. 
So, you know, throughout that analysis, you can look at what the likelihood and impact like a normal risk yeah. matrix would be of a condition happening or an event happening. And then look at the controllable and uncontrollables. Plan against the controllables yeah. so you can mitigate against it. Therefore, you're less likely to fail. Yeah. But always encourage that that loyal opposition, that yeah. constructive dissent, yeah. that contrarian thinker, the one at the back of the room who goes, oh, but what if? Yeah. Now, there's a fine line between the what if and the just pain in the backside. Just throwing constantly... a grenade onto the table exactly. just to cause disruption. Just, just to cause yeah. trouble. So yeah. it needs to be done, ta-da, yeah. from a position of care. Okay. Brilliant. I just... Being interested, you sort of referenced, you didn't reference other leaders, but you talked, we talked when we were talking about extroverts and introverts, you know, that there's been great leaders that, you know, have been introverts. I would just like to ask you the question what two leaders have inspired you? Wow. God, that's a good question. That is a good question. I'm a, I'm a bit stuck because there's so many that I take small elements okay. from rather than, do you know, I'm, I'm not going to answer that, but I'm going to answer it with an answer if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I, I try and encourage people not to role model. Yeah. Because if you role model, then you try, you can become blinkered. So for example, yeah. if my answer was Margaret Thatcher, yeah, it's not, but let's say it was Margaret Thatcher, then there's a danger that I try and do everything yeah. as Margaret would have done. Yeah. And therefore, I'm not being authentic. Yeah. You're not being human, are yeah, you? You're not no. being you. You're not yeah, being you. exactly that. So, you know, I prefer to take little bits that I see from people and say, oh, I, I need to be a bit more like that and I need to be a bit more like that rather than really role model yeah. individuals. Okay. And is there any, for our listeners that want to read more about leadership, is there any books out there that, you know, you've read on leadership or particularly military leadership that, you know, you think might be a value for someone to pick up and read? I think there's one that comes from the military. It's a guy called David Marquette, M-A-R-Q-U-E-T, yeah. called Turn the Ship Around. Awesome book. Yeah, ex-naval you know, uh, submariner yeah. and just changed the culture yeah. through changing behaviours yeah. of the US submarine fleet Yeah. Um, by rather than the captain making every decision, turning it on its head through intent-based leadership, yeah. which you know comes from mission command, which is a military approach. Uh, and it, it it sort of plays back to that Steve Jobs thing we spoke yeah. about. Well, why why employ an expert and then tell them what to do? Yeah. The, the people in that submarine are experts at what they do. So they would say to the captain, I intend to do this. Yeah. And the captain would go, yeah, make it so. Or, yeah. Well, that's Star it's Trek, isn't it? But, yeah. Great book, that one. Um, I read it two, three years ago. Did you? And I ended up buying a copy for everyone in the senior leadership team. And probably one of my challenges and issues is that I want to over-solve, over-deliver, as we were talking about earlier. So yeah. we immediately said, I said to everybody, right, when you walk in my office, as from the book, you know, don't yeah. just tell me the problem and wait for me to respond. I want you to come into the office, tell me the situation and what you intend to do. Yeah. It, and it transforms the way in which we worked. Well, that's great to hear. That is great to hear. Yeah. Another book is by Patrick Lencioni, and it's The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah. And it focuses on, it's written like a fable, so it's like a story. Most people could smash it in a day and a half, two days. Yeah. But you will see people emerging from the pages. These characters, everyone's got them in their organisation. It's yeah. so easy to read, so easy to understand. And that 
basically forms the the approach that one of the best approaches for really high performing teams is to do the antithesis of those five dysfunctions. Yeah. So a, a badly performing team, he would argue, does so because of an absence of trust at the very foundation level. So yeah. people can't be vulnerable with one another. I'm not going to tell you what I'm worried about if I don't trust you because yeah, you're going to go out and start shouting about it. Whereas if I do trust you, I'm going to tell you what I'm uncertain about. I'm going to tell you my, my worries are. I'm probably going to tell you about the problems I've got at home. Yeah. And therefore, we will get much, much closer as yeah. a team. And then on that trust foundation, which is built on the ability to be vulnerable with one another, you then get challenge, conflict, results orientated. You know, and he talks about the foundation that is trust and the various, the four levels that sit on top of that. Okay. Fantastic book. Okay, another recommendation. That's great. Just, I suppose it is about leadership, but just an interesting question and it covers some of what you've talked about um, during the course of this conversation is tips and hints or ideas about how people can stay calm under a high pressurized environment because that's clearly when a lot of leaders as you've alluded to can let themselves down we're in a situation with covid and we're obviously going to be in that situation where it's highly pressured at the moment People yeah. could be letting themselves down as leaders. Any hints and tips? Yeah. First and foremost, focus on the desired end state. Yeah. Because if you know what the final goal is, start with the end in mind type thing. Yeah. Then you know where you're heading. You always know where you're heading. And and if that is in the fog and in the mist, because we don't know what the, the outcome of COVID is going to be, then set smaller goals. Yeah. Pull people close. So now is a time probably not to focus on things other than people have a really people centric approach to leadership during crisis. Yeah. And in crisis, we need to really bound and define what the crisis is yeah. and, and don't make a drama out of it. Yeah. You know, really work to almost scientifically define what the crisis is. So companies that I'm working with, the, the, the better companies were looking at the R rate, looking at the number of uh, cases and, and, and unfortunately fatalities saying, right, when do we think the peak is going to be? And then we're almost scientifically getting trying to get ahead of the government and predict things. I think we probably all were to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, no one really expected it to last this long. Yeah. So those are, those are two, two ways. But also just when you are in a crisis, don't adopt a crisis mentality yeah. by making a drama out of it. If you can define it and then say, right, yeah, we're in it, but that's the... It's yeah. a hateful phrase. It's the new normal. Yeah. You know, the normal is that we are in crisis. This is our claim. Exactly. So since since the sort of late 80s, early 90s, there's been a phrase floating around called VUCA, the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Right. Again, it's a military term at the end of the Cold War to define yeah. countries and states around the world and the future operating environment. But it was adopted by business leaders to to demonstrate how volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous the business space was going to be and going okay. to get with yeah. technology, with, you know, the, the no superpowers had sort of fallen by the wayside at that point. They had. Yeah. And of course, now we're in the middle of a massively VUCA environment. Very rarely do you get all four conditions in VUCA presented yeah. at one time. COVID-19 has presented all four of those. Yeah. So we need to sit down admit our vulnerabilities, lead from a position of care 
super care at the yeah. moment and just take small steps, okay. really small steps out of it and look at those different futures, plural. Brilliant. So just a couple of final questions. You've obviously transcended from military to kind of, I'll say normal life. <laughs> but, you know, you've transcended out of the military. You've become, you know, a leadership coach, you know, a mentor in, in that yeah. space, um, which is probably a better word. I'm not sure I always like the word coach. But, Agreed. So a leadership mentor, what's been your most satisfying moment as a kind of leadership guru mentor to date? Uh, that's been during this period. Okay. A, a gentleman who owned a company with about 50 staff came to me and said, look, I, I'm panicking. Yeah. I, I don't know where to go. Have you got any ideas? And we sat down and, and through a number of sessions, we helped him with his multiple futures, multiple courses of action, focusing on the desired end state whilst leading from a position of care. And I got a lovely letter from him saying that, you have kept those 50 odd people in employment. And that was the most wow. satisfying thing. Not the fact that you can make one person a better leader yeah. and, and they might have an impact on a few people around them. Their direct reports numbering, I don't know, maybe, maybe a dozen. Yeah. But for that guy who owned his own business to say, I was going down. And as a result of what you've done and other people, yeah. not just you, they're now, they're now still employed. Brilliant. That yeah, that's the most that's, rewarding thing since yeah. I've left the military, by without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. And how do you define success? This is the evolved to succeed podcast, so I mean, I have to ask that question. What's yeah. The, no, what's your definition of success? It would be just a dot 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 at the end, otherwise, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it? Success for me is feeling that I've done my best and feeling satisfied. And you know, let's be perfectly honest about it: meeting the financial yeah. requirements that and responsibilities that I have. Yeah. Yeah, if I, if I know the bills are getting paid and I know I'm helping other people and I can see a smile on people's faces, then then that's enough for me. Brilliant. Thank you. Great definition there. So if our listeners want to learn more about Paul, where can they go? Look me up on LinkedIn, Paul yeah. Kincaid with two Ks, uh, or at Selfless Leader One on Twitter, Instagram, or try and get uh, a heavily restricted number of tickets for the TEDx talk. Yeah. Or look look me up on the TEDx site afterwards. Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. It's been great to have you on the Evolved Succeed podcast. Cheers, Warren. Some fantastic, unusual and incredibly valuable thoughts there on leadership from Paul. Paul has been through some unimaginable and at times harrowing situations and circumstances. There are few other environments where leadership is truly tested than in a combat situation and Paul's insights and wisdoms are absolutely invaluable. When you hear someone who's experienced the high stress and extremely dangerous scenarios that Paul has and emerged from them a more rounded individual, when they talk about leadership you do well to listen and take notes of the principles and ideas and I made plenty of notes. I really hope this episode has given you some fresh ideas and how to lead your team and your business. To find out more about Evolve, then please visit evolvemembers.com where you'll find great insightful content as well as information on our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, webinars and events. Alternatively, you can also link in with me on LinkedIn or email me at warren.munson at evolvemembers.com. Other exciting news is that Evolve will soon be launching its own co-working space and its beautiful premises in Ashley Cross in Paul. 
The Evolve team is really excited about this and creating a community of like-minded individuals working together. All the details will soon be on our website, so if you're interested in working in a lovely old school building with great facilities, then keep an eye on EvolveMembers.com in the coming weeks or contact us to register your interest. I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and if you haven't yet, please help us by clicking that subscribe button so you can get your weekly Evolve podcast delivered automatically to your device. We're constantly striving to bring you guests who provide new insights that are valuable to you, whether it's to do with your work life or personal well-being. Thank you for listening, and from all the Evolve team, we wish you a great week and hope to see you again soon.